this. That's the, little bit, little bit, little bit. So we looked at Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira, their hard attitudes, and and them being immediately judged for for their sins, and, and God took, took their lives. And we also looked at what came out of that, the blessing that came out of that, and that more believers were added to the church and also covered you know, a, a modern day with what we have going on with Brother Sean Moore. And I don't know how many of you guys went to his funeral or not. Well, we, we went there. Uh, we went to it. And, you know, his testimony, the testimony that he left, that he leaves us, that he leaves all the people that he knew, is amazing. You know, I was sitting there thinking about you know, we're in the middle of this, uh, they're looking for a superintendent at work, and they had us go to a focus group, and, you know, and we sat in this focus group, and it's all the administrators, and of course, we're looking for somebody with educational experience, and somebody that's been in the education field for a long time, and well-decorated, and experience, you know, all this, all, all this build-up, and trophies, and awards, and, you know, all these it's all it's it's all vain. I sit there and think about, you know, a tri- a trophy and a plaque didn't doesn't make you a good friend. Having somebody like Sean Moore, who had a testimony in the Lord and a love for just people in general, that's worth far more than any than any reward or or anything that you could get in your career. Or, sports or, or otherwise your testimony means far more than than any of that and i thought about that a little more after being at his funeral and the fruit that can remain from that and one of the things that came out of it some folks raised their hands saying that they needed jesus as their savior now whether they made that decision in that moment out of conviction we don't know but they they were convicted and i pray that they that they do one of the most amazing things that did happen out of that is I was out running errands that afternoon and uh, uh, got back and Megan told me that our youngest, that our seven-year-old Kyle, came to us and out of nowhere, you know, his other brothers are off doing whatever and he, he came to her and said, I, I want to be saved. Now he's talked about being saved and prayed about being saved and it's, you know, more of a fireproof insurance so for him to come down on his own accord and ask us about this, or ask her in particular about it, was very unique. And so she asked him a number of questions, and ultimately he, he prayed. And now we're looking to see if there's going to be any fruit out of it. And she told me all this before I even saw him. So when I got home, he was already gone. So the first thing when he finally saw me several minutes later... He goes, Daddy, I got saved. I'm like, yeah? And so we talked about it, and I asked him some. I asked him a few questions, and he didn't really recall everything behind it, but his excitement said a lot right there. So now we're looking to see, uh, see if there's going to be any fruit from that. But it's possible that us taking him to that funeral and him experiencing that service might have been the icing on the cake for him 
He's very he's he's very different of our three kids. He will hit you out of nowhere with things. He he's a deep thinker, even though you don't think he's thinking deep. He will come at you. He'll hit you in the middle of the intersection with a question, and you just go, "You've been thinking about that? Yeah, like it's nothing." Okay, so this was one of those this was one of those moments, and you know, so we're praying. I mean, you can get saved when you're seven years old. So we're. Now, that's Sean Moore's testimony. That's having that fruit that remains and that hard attitude that he had. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we read about Nehemiah's prayer and his hard attitude behind it. And furthermore, we discussed the adversity that we can face uh, from the enemy and from others that it can be in our midst, um, from uh, Sambalot and Tobiah and the trouble that they caused Nehemiah during the building of the wall and also their workers and uh, ultimately God protected Nehemiah because they they were uh, Sambalot and Tobiah were out to slay him they figured if you know if he can be slayed that'll stop the work and they just tried and tried and tried and they kept it's you know I love the book of Nehemiah it's 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 wonderful and it's so it's very vivid and God gets the glory through that whole thing Nehemiah was obedient he could have easily quit. He could have been like, nah, okay, I'm done. I'm going. And would you have that luxury in a church plant if you were sent? You probably wouldn't have that luxury in a church plant. So these are all things that really need to be considered. So go ahead and uh, turn to John chapter 13 if you're not there already. So... I'm going to try my best to articulate this because I'm kind of going to jump around in it. <laughs> so when I was going through this a few times, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do my best to put to put this thing together because normally you would just go in the order in which the word is spoken, but I kind of jump around with it and I'm praying that it all fits together in a nice little puzzle. So, um, context of this chapter is Jesus hour. It's it's come. Uh, from verse 1, and deception of Judas is set to unfold. It's setting everything into motion that leads leading up to the events of the crucifixion. So we're going to dive into this a little bit. This is the last educational classroom moment that Jesus has with his disciples. This is like the calm before the storm. And Jesus demonstrates loving servant leadership amidst the events to unfold washing disciples feet and a number of other things that take place here so um i believe we did this blank already so do you have a love for lost souls and fellow brethren's needs was that already filled in for you guys because i think that's where i left off last week all right perfect so john 13 verses 12 through 17 so after he had washed their feet and i'm going to come back to that part of it so we're kind of starting in the middle here it's a little weird but it should work out and had taken his garments and was set down again he said unto them know ye what know ye what i what i have done to you ye call me master and lord and ye say well for so i am if then your lord and master have washed your feet ye also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So, shortly in this time, he's going to go to the cross for all of man. And he's washing feet. Now you think about all the things that you could be doing at that time. And mind you, his disciples are completely oblivious as to what is going to take place. They have this final supper, and this is what Jesus is doing. Maybe it's puzzling to them. Maybe it's not, but he's laying the groundwork for this final educational moment for them. I don't know how I would be in a moment like that. You know, why, why is he doing this? What's, what's he doing? You know, and you look at Peter and, and his, his reaction to the whole situation. So, John 13, 33, and 30, 33 through 35 says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So he issues this final commandment in this whole episode that's unfolding. I know that these verses and a lot of this is familiar, but really step in and think about the situation for a minute. It's easy. It was easy for me, unfortunately, putting this together to read these and be complacent with it. We're familiar with these verses. We're familiar with this passage. So... When I was working through it and I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, 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 I've been through it, I've been through this. I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for something else. But then I just really stopped and I read it and I'm like, there's too many things in the way. Too many things get in the way of the heart. Too many things get in the way of the eyes and the flesh and all being busy doing this and being busy doing that. And all those things get in the way. And I had to step back and, and really look at this this passage so he refers to his disciples as little children and it's really meaning again think of where they're at they don't know what's going to happen yet meaning youth many meaning young in their faith in verse 33 he's explaining something to them which makes no sense to them but he tells them anyway because he will reveal it to them later and I thought about it for a little bit I I do this with my own children I end up telling them a lot of things they'll ask me certain questions and I'm sitting there thinking I'm like there's no simple answer to that how can I answer this at an 11 year old's level how can I answer this at a a 7 year old's level how can I do so I, I but I end up I explain it to them and I tell them anyways because I love them and I want them to have a heads up and that's ultimately what Jesus is doing in this in this in this situation he's giving them a heads up and he's getting them ready trying to get them ready 
so some of the keys to the success of a church plan of this such are obeying this commandment. He's doing this out of love. And like I mentioned last week, if you're involved in a ministry, even if it's just witness, witnessing to somebody at your guys' school or however it's going to unfold, if you're not doing it out of love, out of a love for that lost soul, out of a love for the Lord, then it's, it's in vain. It's vanity. And, and it's, God's not going to get the glory for it. I, I think I equated it to saying, what, you'll be plowing uphill and you'll be hating it the entire time? I had a thing about it is like it's you're there's not going to be any love in it, and God's not going to get the glory for it, and ultimately God should get the glory for for all these things. So go ahead and take a look at uh, John twenty one. So this is after the resurrection, but prior to the ascension, and Jesus is on the beach and he reveals himself to his disciples yet again, and they're out fishing. And again, these are all familiar passages, but you know, don't get complacent with them. Jesus demonstrates servant leadership again by preparing fish and bread in verse 9. And can I get, let's see, we got 15, 16, so can I get three people to take rapid fire on them? You, you, and you. Start over there. We'll go 15, 16, 17. Yep. So when they had died, Jesus says, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. I love that last verse. Jesus just works him through it. And you can just hear Peter breaking down. And that's what I loved about reading about that verse, is it ties into that commandment of love. Peter, do you love me? How many times do you say, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We pray, Lord, we love you. But where is your depth with it? I'm not saying that you don't have depth with it. I'm just saying a lot of times we get caught up in the prayer or, or whatever, and we're saying, Lord, I love you. Okay. How deep is that love? And again, it all ties back into how you will be as a servant, how, how it's going to work for you. One of the things that I noticed too in this is the difference. He's, he says, feed my lambs. The difference between a lamb and a sheep is a lamb is a year old or less. And I just kind of thought about the distinction and God being no respecter of persons. It, it's, it's feed anybody. Whoever you have an opportunity to, to witness with or, or share verses with or comfort or, or whatever, it's not going to have an age gap. You can't sit there and go, "Well, that person's like 80. I don't, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could really be of any any good to them." <coughs> I've had some of the best opportunities helping out some of our more mature servants 
and, and folks in our church. And there's so many times where, they're, where their experience in life and just listening to the things that they share is, is amazing. And, and that can bless you from it. But there's no spectrum to the age. There's no spectrum to the maturity he calls us. He, call, he, call, he calls it to be to feed them. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? So back to chapter 13. Like I said, we're kind of jumping around. It's kind of a little unorthodox. So submissiveness. John 13, 4 through 5. I get one reader. Connor. Jesus sets the example for them in 4 through 5 of submissive, prideless service. And again, think about what's going on with him. He knows what's going to go on. Judas is there. He's ready to tell him to go. He knows exactly what's going to unfold. He knows exactly he knows exactly what's to come. And one of the last things that happens with Judas is Jesus washes his feet clean. He is touched by God. And the very next thing he's going to do is go and deceive him. And I never caught that before when I was going through this. And I was just like, wow, your pride and sin and the depth of it can have no bounds and it's why it's crucial that we get our hearts right and keep them maintained with the Lord and no it's not always easy and I'm thinking of I was thinking about all the all the different personalities that Jesus is working with at this time all these different disciples and then you've got this deceiver right in the middle of them and and he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's coming. I mean, and he keeps it all together. He still has, he's still going to teach them before he goes to the cross. I had, I did something that I shouldn't have done several years back. And uh, it was kind of a tough time. I was working for the one of the supply companies driving the truck. They had opened a store in Akron. And uh, there was only a handful of us that worked there. I was one of the guys that transferred from Cleveland, so I helped with the startup, and then they hired some guys off the street uh, to you know, do the, do the labor, labor work of another driver and another loader and a couple warehouse guys. So it was just a handful of us and a sales guy. Um, but the corporate store down in uh, Texas, or the headquarters, decided even though this store was open for a year, it was successful, they were going to shut it down. They had a different strategy in mind with how they were going to do logistics and all these other things, and um, they decided that they were going to shut it down. Well, I had a tough time working at this place because I wasn't part of the beer buddy golfer crowd that these other guys got hired on with, okay? So I was an outcast, and I wasn't going to conform to them, and man, those guys tempted me all the time, you know, Richard, we're going to get you to drink. Richard, we're going to get you to drink. We're going to get you to cuss. 
They're always messing with me constantly, left and right. And it made it tough. And I tried to play it off and hardy hard hard, you know, but it just got to a point where it 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 was taxing. You remember all that. So the boss, who would come in at nine and leave at two because he had a bar to be at, usually in the afternoon. Interesting guy. But he let us use our use his computer for orders and whatever when we had downtime. So I was in his office using his computer. And uh, I sat down and I looked at his desktop and there was a, a Word document that was closed. But the title of it said something about layoffs or Akron closing or something in the title caught my eye. I'm on my boss's computer. And I'm looking at that file. And I'm like, what's in there? I'm like, no, I shouldn't open it. No, I shouldn't open it. So I opened it. <laughs> and I read it. And it had info in there that I was not supposed to see. It was the exit plan and what staff would be retained. And I was being phased out despite having the most seniority, the most experience, because I wasn't part of the crowd. And they didn't like me. They were keeping all the other guys and they were going to go to Cleveland. And I was the only one who was going to be laid off. <laughs> and now I knew it. And I was never supposed to. Now granted, it pales in comparison when you're going to be the savior of the world and die for the sin of every man. But, nonetheless, it leaves a hole in your stomach when you know that you have been put out. You've been put over here, set aside. And you know what I can say about it to any of those guys? Nothing. Not a single word. I couldn't tell them. I couldn't tell them what I knew. What would happen then? But before that, I was starting to piece some things together because all them clowns that were in there were talking about, I shouldn't refer to them as clowns. They need Jesus too. But anyway, they're planning vacations and they're talking about the sports stuff they're going to be doing. And, you know, and it just didn't make sense. I'm like before I read this. I'm like, how are you guys planning all this stuff when you're going to get laid off? You know, they were closing the store down. And then when I read that, it all made sense. They weren't losing their jobs. I was. And Jesus knew all the things that was about to happen to him. And the only thing he could do was teach them about washing feet and a servant's heart attitude and leading by that example. So, sometimes it's easy to look past these verses because we're familiar with them. We know them. And we just read them and, oh yeah, it's Jesus washing the feet and it's the hard attitude and this and that. No, there's a lot more that goes deeper with it. So your blanks down here. There is happiness in humble servanthood. There will be a necessity for your work in a startup church. Really wherever. It starts today. If you don't have a hard attitude for it, and you don't have... And I'm put, putting personality aside, or whatever. But if you're, if you're not serving the Lord with the right heart, 
other people are going to smell it on you. It's going to stick out. I mean, we know as leaders, not pointing any fingers or nothing. I honestly say it here with nobody in mind. We see, we see who we see. It just sticks out. People who are serving, people who aren't, people who are trying. But we also consider, too, sometimes you're in circumstances that don't allow you to serve. Sometimes you just got things going on. We get that. There's grace. That's a big aspect of it, too, is having grace. Lord knows I need it, and Lord knows I need to work on it. So taking all these ingredients, the commandment of love, submissiveness, the mind to work, knowing that adversity is coming, should lead to this result. Strengthen your faith. So, John, so we're already in 13. Uh, 36 and 37. Somebody take it. You already read. So did you. You read it, Brandon? John 13, 36 and 37. Are you there? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go? Thou canst follow me now, but thou shalt follow me after afterward. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Nope, you're good. So you might wonder why I landed on these verses. I kind of started here, I went here, and I came back to here. Well, it does kind of fit together because I love Peter in the Bible because I relate to Peter because Peter, while he's being discipled, is an idiot in many aspects. There are a lot of moments with him where you read through and you're just going, oh, this guy, he doesn't think before he speaks. He acts before he thinks. And that is a perfect picture of how we can be in our immaturity. And he, in these verses, he, he's a, where are you going, Lord? Where are you going? Can I go? Where, where, where are you going? It's like, it's like one of my kids. Where are you going, Dad? What are you going to do? Can I go with you? Huh? Huh? No, you can't go with me. Why? Because you don't get it yet. So you have Peter in these verses in chapter 13, but then look in Acts chapter 3. And this is where it all comes together. In Acts chapter 3, uh, him and John, they heal a lame man, and the people more marveled at this. And, and in verse 12, it says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? You think about Peter in chapter 13. Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing? Huh? Uh-huh. Where are you going to go? What do you do? And then you got him in Acts chapter 3. And he's bold. And he's not one to play with anymore. He's got the Holy Ghost. And he's instrumental throughout this book in the establishing of the church. The once proud and quick the once proud, quick to act, slow to think Peter gets up in front of this group of people after him and John and he, after they healed this lame man, and he gives these Jews before them a swift, bold history lesson about their Savior whom they crucified. 
he lays it out to them. That is not the Peter that we knew as a disciple. This man is mature, he is grown, and he is fit to serve. And he does it, and we get the pleasure of having it forever written in his word. That's the hard attitude. That's, that's the example that I ended up landing on putting this, putting this lesson together. And it's been a blessing to me. I'm praying that it's a blessing to you that you guys have have something to take away from it because I struggle putting it together. I'll be I'll be honest with you. But that's what I love about about the Bible. That it puts my agenda out of the way. I don't have an agenda. That's one of the key things that we learn. You don't teach with an agenda. And I love that. That's what I love about this book. It's humbling. And that's all I got. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you again this evening. I just, uh, you know, I struggle with this. I'm nervous. And uh, I just pray that uh, you got the glory for it because uh, you showed me a lot. And I thank you for the depths of, of your book and uh, its truths. And uh, Lord, the lives of, of these men that are written forever and preserved uh, perfectly that uh, we can glean from them and that there's there's so much to absorb lord i thank you for for your banqueting table lord it is it is truly a, a feast uh, anytime that we can be in your word and not just glazing over familiar verses lord i pray that we wouldn't do that sometimes it's easy to do lord i pray that we would not be complacent hard-hearted stiff-necked lord all these things that you warn us about but you give us a commandment to love to love one another and Lord, to serve in the same manner. Thank you for, thank you for loving us, Lord. We uh, we thank you and we give you all the praise and glory that you're due in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, real quick, I just wanna.